Hey everyone and welcome to Developer Tea. My name is Jonathan Cottrell and in today's episode I'm interviewing Laurence Bradford. Laurence is the creator of Learn to Code With Me. That's learntocodewith.me if you want to go and visit the website. Uh, she has a blog, she has a lot of awesome guides, introductions to things like what is the internet. <laughs> if you've ever wanted to explain that to someone who is a non-developer friend of yours. Uh, it's a really great guide. And it's actually a pretty good primer for those of us who are uh, already in the know, uh, supposedly in the know. And there's some some new stuff to be learned across uh, Laurence's material. Laurence is also the host of a top 20 uh, tech podcast by the same name, Learn to Code With Me. And uh, she talks with other developers about how learning to code has created mobility in their careers and has given them the opportunity to be entrepreneurial and do new and exciting things uh, that they couldn't do before they learned how to code. So we're going to talk about some of that stuff today. We're going to talk about uh, Laurence's personal brand, her perspective on branding. Laurence also is a contributor to Forbes. We're going to talk about what it means to be a contributor to a site like Forbes and how we as other developers may go about doing something kind of like that. So I'm really excited to have Laurence on the show. Let's get straight to the interview with Laurence Bradford. Laurence, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Uh, I think a lot of people probably already know about you because the people who are listening to this show are frequenting iTunes. Uh, they're looking at podcasts for developers in the technology section. Uh, you know, iTunes, by the way, they removed the subcategories, but uh, even still in the technology section, your podcast has been consistently near the top for quite a while now. Well, thank you. That I mean, that means so much. And for everyone listening and how, yeah, I've just just blown away. And I've, I've heard of your, your show as well. And I'm excited to come on. Yeah, it's really, really exciting because the whole point of your show is to talk about learning how to code. And uh, that's, you know, that's such an important thing that we talk about on this show. And we talk not just about learning how to code, but uh, learning in general, right? And this, this constant, uh, this constant idea that learning is important for, for our entire lives. Like we, we don't need to just start learning you know, and then stop whenever we've finished uh, whatever the thing is that we want to learn. We need to have this this continuous learning uh, mindset. And actually, when we were talking over email, you mentioned that you are picking up a course uh, in the evenings. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. I just started the course last week and it's eight weeks long and it meets twice a week. So Tuesday and Thursdays from 630 to nine after work. That's really cool. Um, I think a lot of people will be able to identify with that 630 to 9 learning schedule uh, that they have uh, as a result of also having a job and being an adult. <laughs> it's a really interesting thing that happens when you become an adult, right? Yes. Oh, my goodness. It's, oh, gosh. I keep, I was actually just saying to someone before, because I had my own, po another podcast interview before for my own show. And I was like, yeah, I kind of feel like, um, I'm like, like a crazy person or something just because I have the, um, you know, I have a full-time job. I have the podcast. Um, I have a blog still, you know, all these other things. And then I decided to take a course twice a week. Um, you know, it's only for, you know, from 630 to 9 PM at night. But when you have all these other things going around, um, going on in your life, it's always, it's hard to make time, but I am really happy that, um, I decided to take it because it's been a bit since I've been in like a classroom environment, um, learning with other people around me. 
It is a really unique environment to be in. I think a lot of people actually um, who are in a, a a learning stage of life, in particular, if you are college age, or especially if you're like a high schooler that's graduating and trying to decide if you want to go into you know formalized learning environment or not. A lot of people um, look over the value of that face to face communication and the time that you get to spend with other students. I do think it has. A pretty significant amount of value. It's not the only way to learn. Uh, certainly, there are brand new ways to learn popping up all around us uh, as technology progresses in the learning space. But uh, there is a value to being in person and learning in person that that can't quite be a hundred percent emulated uh, in an online classroom. Yeah, a hundred percent. And again, I'm only two classes in, so I don't want to like jinx myself or get a little too ahead of myself. Have to see how the the next seven weeks, <laughs> the next seven weeks yeah. play out. But so far, uh, probably like the favorite, my favorite thing about the course is uh, the people that are in it. So it is, you know, a part time course. It's six thirty nine p.m. at night. And everyone there is like a professional, right? And they're all in tech and they're all looking to sort of, you know, level up their career. So it's this kind of like mindset of the student that I really enjoy and everyone so far I've definitely gone along with. Uh, And I also really like the instructor. Uh, The instructor has lots of experience in the field. Um, She's really, you know, she's fun. She's entertaining. She teaches well. So, um, yeah, we'll see how things continue to go. But it's great to be around people like learning in that way. Sure. So what is the actual, uh, what is the course actually titled? If you don't so mind me asking. So it's product management. I think it may be something like intro to product management or maybe even just product management. And it's interesting because there's not a lot of product management courses out there. Uh, there's a few that are like tied to certifications and they kind of seem a little old school, like the websites at least. Uh, and then, sure, yeah, yeah. And there's, and then there's some programs like I, there's like, for instance, like an MBA product management program, I believe, at like NYU or something, which is obviously like a huge commitment. There was another one that looked interesting. It was in um, it was in Silicon Valley. It was at it was um, it was at UC Berkeley, I believe, and it was like a really it was like an intensive like week long thing, but it was very expensive. And then here, and I'm I'm based in New York. Uh, there were two pretty solid options: one at General Assembly uh, product management course, and then another at a uh, I guess it's, it's kind of like a, pro, a coding boot camp, but it's called product school. It's just for product management. So I decided mm-hmm. to go with that one after some research. And um, yeah, it's been yeah, it's been fun. That's awesome. So I, I do want to back up because I, I think I got ahead of myself <laughs> and, uh, and and jumped in, in and talked about this this uh, ongoing learning. But I want to back up and, and get a little bit of your story, kind of where you came from, what your uh, initial interests were. I know. Uh, for example, that you were you were in Asia for a little while, and you have this kind of deep love for Asia. Can you explain kind of how you ended up getting interested in uh, in tech and and interested in learning how to code, and where that led you? What what path you went down to get there? Yeah, definitely. So after college, I thought I wanted to do economic development and specifically in um, Southeast Asia. So during college, I had studied abroad in China, and then I was able to go back after that um, to Southeast Asia. And it's like the easiest way to get to um, Southeast Asia, especially as someone who's just leaving college, is to teach English there. 
So I sure yeah yeah decided to like just, English as a second language or yeah. So I actually ended up teaching really young children um, that were between the ages. It's kind of ridiculous between the ages of like two and seven. So it was like a private preschool slash like elementary school. And I would. Oh, that's a big, big age range. Yeah, I would go from <laughs> class to class. I was kind of like the traveling teacher. I didn't oh, have okay, my own yeah, classroom. Yeah. I would go. Yeah, and the youngest kids I was with for you know twenty minutes every morning. I mean, you know, two year olds sure, who can't really yeah, do, just sing yeah. songs and you know do animals, point and, at things and name them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Same with you know toddlers, of course, in the U.S. too. I don't, you know, they can't, you don't, can't really have a f- really long, intense class with a with a group of two year olds. Sure. Yeah. Um, and that was, I mean, it was a really great experience, but I definitely knew teaching was not for me uh, after that. And especially uh, younger kids. Well, I love to be around like younger kids. And um, in some ways, I, I feel like I was very fortunate because I had a lot of friends that were also teaching English there that were around high school students that would have more um, behavior issues. And the thing that I liked the most about these younger children were that even when they acted out in class, like you could never, ever ever take it personally because you know there's like they're four years old it was still sure (laughs) and they're still like cute at the end of the day and it wasn't um it wasn't as stressful i think in that way but in any case so when i was done teaching i ended up getting like um this job at a think tank in bangkok and it's specifically an economic development and their economic development floor so at the time this was sort of my dream job if you will and I was only there for about a month when I realized it was nothing like I thought it, it would be. It was nothing for me. And that was really hard because I had been studying for like the GRE. I thought I was going to go to grad school to study economic development. Now, in hindsight, it was like a bullet dodge because I would have probably spent, you know, upwards of $100,000 on grad school and not to mention two years out of my professional life, um, you know, yeah, back at school. Yeah. So I am happy that this all, you know, happened at, at the end. But nonetheless, so I was, you know, in Thailand. This wasn't for me. And I decided to start teaching myself how to code and just to build websites uh, initially. There were a few other factors going on at the time. Like I had started a travel blog, for instance, on WordPress. So I wanted to do things to like customize it. Uh, so I already mm-hmm, had a mm-hmm. bit of an interest from there. And uh, well, that was actually really the main thing kind of pushing me. And then also not having um, any other career options at the time. And I was very fortunate. This is not something I realized until later that when I was in Bangkok um, working at this think tank, I lived alone. And at this point in time, all of my friends uh, that had met through teaching either left or they were like further away from Bangkok teaching. So I didn't really have like any friends or family, which gave me a lot of free time to learn how to code. (laughs) So sort of like a, um, I mean, this sounds kind of depressing. I had no friends or family, but it it gave me tons of time to be able to to learn how to code. And that's sort of what kickstarted it. I ended up moving back to the United States, uh, taking like different kinds of courses online and in person here. And then about a year later, I started learning to code with me, the blog, and things sort of took off after that. That's really a really cool story. There's some aspects of that that I'd like to kind of focus on for a second. Um, One, I think you mentioned something that's uh, that sounds a little bit like it's kind of funny at in hindsight, but could very well have been like one of the really big factors uh, for your success. And that was that you kind of had this space to focus, right? Like you didn't have a lot going on around you. You didn't have many people questioning whether or not you were, you were going to be able to do it. You just had these resources and you had time. And, uh, and I think that's a really powerful combination, right? 
Um, would you agree that that uh, you know that that focus level that you had as a result of being in, a, in this in a different country and with none of your friends, none of your family around, really just with with time and resources? Yeah, it was definitely. I mean, I'm 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 not saying maybe I wouldn't have learned at all otherwise, but it was definitely a great way to start learning because I was still in Thailand for two months before I came back to the United States. And I was, you know, I did have this other job, but keep in mind the Thai work schedule is very different from the U.S. It was like the average work hours were like 10 to 4 every day in my office. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I mean, Thailand's an amazing country for anyone like who's been there thinking of going. I mean, the people are amazing, but it's definitely a more like relaxed, I'd say at least, at least um, the office that I was in, uh, not, mm-hmm. not the long hours that some of us put in our jobs here in the U.S. Uh, so that, so, but yeah, to answer your question, it was definitely very helpful at the time. And also, I didn't have really anything else to do. I mean, I didn't have any other options. Like what I thought I wanted to do wasn't. So I knew I had to find something else. And I was sort of taking, I guess, a, like a risk. But it, I mean, not not really. I was only really wasting time at this point because I didn't spend money much on courses early on. So it was just the time of learning it. And that was another huge realization for me. I was spending before that so much time studying for the GRE. And I remember one day, and for anyone who's not familiar, the GRE is kind of like the SATs, but to get into grad school, it's like a, I think there's like yeah, the essay and the verbal and the math, but really has no like practical use in the real world. So I was just like, why am I spending hours every weekend studying for the GRE when these skills like won't really help me make money ever. They're not like career skills. I could be spending that time doing something else. And of course, that was like learning how to build websites. Yeah, it's, it, it is a very powerful thing because uh, anyone who is thinking about going to grad school, you probably have seen like GRE prep courses and uh, tons of it. I went to grad school actually. And doing the GRE prep was like, it did feel like kind of a huge waste of time. Uh, because even on the other end of it, it's kind of like, okay, well, this isn't even the most important thing to your acceptance criteria. Like, you you really what you need to do is uh, get a relationship built up with the people at the school. And uh, the GRE ends up being uh, si- significantly less important than you are led to believe it will be. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I – I'm I'm not a fan of the whole standardized test thing. So <laughs> and uh and again I just it's just to me it's like it just doesn't have any real world value cuz you can write an essay in 25 minutes or whatever it is and it has to be, you know, the five paragraph structure. It's just not Yeah, it's just not like the real world to me. So, uh, Lawrence, you are everything you say and and everything that you've created up until this point, looking at it as a developer kind of analyzing what you're doing with with this information that you're learning and uh, the trajectory of your career and all that stuff, you are kind of the picture of um, of the new developer. Uh, I'm going to coin a, a term, capital N, new developer. Uh, and it's the kind of person who isn't necessarily gunning after an engineering career like for now to retirement. Uh, we, we were talking right before the show and you mentioned, you know, I'm not really doing a lot of coding right this second. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in other things. I'm using code to inform me, but not necessarily uh, is that like the end goal in mind. I think a lot of students, a lot of people who are learning how to code, they're doing it as kind of a means to an end. Uh, would you agree that that there is kind of this new type of developer that is emerging 
uh, as a result of this, uh, uh, really, it's it's a technological wave, right? There's so much influence that technology has over every sphere of what we do. Yeah, I really like that term, um, new new developer. Yes, definitely. I it's it's funny because when I started uh, the site, like when I started learning to code with me, and mind you, I had been learning for about a year before this, um, a bit on and off early on, uh, and even like six months or maybe even more than that after starting the blog, I, my plan was to become like a junior developer. Like that was sort of my end goal, you know, and then progress from there, of course. But that was like my immediate goal. It took me a bit to realize that, and and I was doing these projects. So I was, I was doing like freelance work and sometimes it was maybe for even like 30 hours a week. So it was maybe a bit closer to a full-time job where I was like assisting uh, more senior developers. So it was kind of like a, junior developer in a sense. And I realized I didn't like coding all day. So I was like, oh my goodness, I've just, you know, like I just have all these other interests. So I love to write, you know, now I have the podcast and, you know, I love to like go out and meet people and not to say that if you're a developer, you're never going to get to do these things. But most developers jobs, it's like maybe 80% you know, writing code or doing something pertaining to like touching the code base. And I was like, okay, you know, that is fun. I do like certain aspects of it, but I don't want it to play that big of a part in my day to day. And, and still, and you know, then and still, I'm very passionate about encouraging others to gain technical skills because I do think it's super valuable and can be helpful in a range of careers, but it just, after a bit became clear it wasn't for me. So um, that was definitely kind of like an evolution. I still feel the same way that it's not for me. Um, you know, and I've known this now maybe for like two years or something. But yeah, no, I love I love that term. And I do think that even, you know, you so many people, and I misbelieved this early on, I thought like if I learned how to code, like I had to become like a software engineer. Like there was no, you know, no other options. Like that was the only thing, like I'm learning to code, I'm going to do it full time, this and that. But that's so far from the reality because like coding and just, or just tech skills in general, depending on what you're doing, has so many real world um, applications, right? So you think of uh, like marketing, like digital marketing or growth hacking, whatever you want to call it. There's so there's such a need to know just for that. Whether you're like building landing pages, you know, doing A/B tests, um, doing you know like running SQL queries or doing other stuff with like data analysis, like coding can come into play, and that's just one job, right? Because there's you, there's user experience, there's different kinds of design roles, uh, even like customer care. And this is something or customer support, we call customer care at my company. Uh, You know, there are people on the team who, because they're troubleshooting helping users. So knowing how to code um, helps them help users, right? So anyway, yeah, went on a little bit of a tangent. But yeah, learning tech skills has so much like real world value. It's insane. Today's episode of Developer Tea is sponsored by Dolby. Dolby wants you to know that you can make your iOS applications better with a few simple clicks. Now, how does that happen? Well, effectively, what you're probably missing out on is user research that says audio is much more important than you thought it was. If you didn't know this, um, 90% of users say that audio is important across their ecosystem. That means not only when they are sitting in front of their TVs and listening to their theater quality uh, home sound system, but also when they are using your application. You can introduce this level of quality that Dolby has become so well known for. You can introduce that level of quality into your application by simply using their codec. 
It seems simple, but it makes a huge difference in clarity. And by the way, you can implement surround sound into your applications on iOS. Go and check out what Dolby has to offer to you in terms of tools that will make your application better with such a little effort. It's an incredibly low barrier uh, to making your audio better with Dolby. Just head over to spec.fm slash Dolby iOS, spec.fm slash Dolby iOS to get started today. Thank you again to Dolby for sponsoring today's episode of Developer T. I've been doing a lot of studying on, on guilt and shame and how it like functions in our culture. And there's a lot of developers who are listening to this right now and you feel guilty or perhaps you feel a sense of shame that you don't enjoy like uh, all of the deep engineering problems that your coworkers do. And then there's this, there's another group of you who absolutely enjoy it. Uh, but, but this, this first group who you feel like you want to use code in, in really distant ways, or maybe even in like kind of hacky ways, um, that doesn't disclude you from this group of, of people that, that are really, it's more about like digital literacy, right? Like we have, um, some level of understanding technical literacy. We have some level of understanding of how things work at their at their technical level more than uh, the average person, perhaps, right? And and that doesn't necessarily mean that you know your entire career has to be wrapped up in you uh, utilizing that particular section of knowledge. In the same way that if I study English or if I study another language, I, I don't necessarily have to study that uh, in order to become you know, a career, whatever that, I don't have to go and teach that language just because I know it, right? Uh, There is, there's so much more that I can use that language for. I don't have to just use the language directly, but rather I can use it as a tool. And this is, this is really what a lot of people in our, uh, kind of our, the younger generation now growing up and getting into the workforce, um, what we kind of misread as signals from the industry, which is, you know, learn to code because there are coding jobs. And and that's really the wrong signal, I think. And, and the question of whether or not designers should learn to code, I think, you know, that's that, first of all, it's an old question. We don't need to rehash it five more times, but, uh, but really adding more con- context to that, I don't think that the, the real debate is, should designers learn to code? It's, what kind of value does learning to code add? Because very few of us long-term, and I'm going to hand the mic over to you in a second. Uh, this I'm really passionate about this subject. Uh, very few of us long-term will actually be doing what we're doing today. Like almost none of us are going to be doing the practical work that we are doing today as developers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, I liked how you positioned that with like the value that learning to code could bring you as a designer or, or you know, something else um, in your in your career. And as you said, using programming as a tool um, instead of like you have to learn a language, you have to use it all the time and so forth. But just to circle back real quick to um, when you're, you mentioned guilt and shame um, a bit ago, when I first sort of had this realization that I wanted to switch gears and not become like a full-time, you know, full-stack developer or, or whatever, the, I think those were like my initial, initial plans early on. I felt 
very guilt. Like I felt tons of guilt and shame and I had only been learning for like a year and a half maybe at that point. So yeah. I wasn't even, it wasn't like I had like tons of like, you know, skin in the game or something. But the reason yeah. for me, a, a big reason for me was because I had been telling my friends and my family and I had this blog all about it. And I was like, oh man, like now I realize this isn't something I totally want to do. I am passionate about helping others gain tech skills because I do believe it's going to make a huge difference in people's careers and just lives overall. I mean, it certainly has for me. And um, at first it was, I kind of like kept it a secret for a few months and then yeah. eventually <laughs> maybe began like telling more people. And then, you know, now I'm definitely like, if someone asks me, I'm like, oh no, 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 you know, like, you know, I, I'm taking a product management course now, like, right? Like I'm interested, much more interested in like user experience sure. design. Yeah, and like usability and things like that. And I still love to write and I write all the time. So I'm just, yeah, I'm very fortunate that my, um, current situation, my current full-time job, and then the things I have on the side allow me to flex all these different skills and I get to do all these things that I enjoy. Yeah. Again, I, I see this as kind of, in many ways, a, a picture of the future workforce. A, a lot of what you have outlined as, as you know, things that you value and um, the multidisciplinary career, this is something that... You know, I've been doing some thinking over the weekend along the lines of guilt and shame. You know, there's a ton of these articles about the millennial generation. And I, and I don't like to focus on this discussion because there's so many opinions and uh, a lot of them are, you know, based on a particular set of research. And then it can almost get political uh, in terms of how heated the discussion gets. Um, but I've, I've done a little bit of research on this, uh, on this topic and uh, the the future of our career uh, careers rather the future of the workforce for millennials part of the reason it's so uncertain is because you know just 20 years ago the number of job titles that you could hold was exponentially smaller right like we have such a wide open field of uh, of possibility that never even existed even in our in our childhood, uh, that short ago, it did, some of these titles didn't even exist. There's brand new titles, and they're actually being recycled and and removed and replaced each and every day. We're seeing you know brand new titles get uh, added to the job sphere. And when I say titles, I don't mean actual literal titles, but I mean vocations, like full on uh, career paths that are brand new that haven't even existed for. Uh, longer than a few years, people are are building their entire careers around these uh, these brand new job paths. So as a result of that, we're inundated with choice, right? And and we have all of these things laid out in front of us, and it's very difficult to choose something with that many possibilities. We have a major fear that we're going to choose the wrong thing. We have a major fear that we're going to have that we're going to miss out in some way. And so, I, Lawrence, I, I feel like you are. Um, a good word for it would be brave, right? Because you're willing to accept the fact that learning to code doesn't necessarily hold you in uh, in your career, that your career is going to be varied. It's, it's, there's going to be a lot of variety in the careers of our future. Oh, well, thank you so much for saying that. But yeah, no, I, I completely agree that so you were saying with um, there's new types of jobs emerging every single day and um 
it's, you know, it's always evolving. And now people are switching jobs more than they ever have before. Uh, I know like when I just, you know, I, if I'm out and I meet someone and I hear that they've been at their job for like over three years even, like unless it's their own company or something, that's a bit different. But if they've been working for a company for like over three years or four years, I'm like, whoa, you've been there for so long. And um, yeah. <laughs> maybe it is like a generational thing or I don't know. But also things are just, the, just the landscape is constantly changing and um and just the rise and fall of these different companies and, and just wanting, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing to move from jobs at all. I think if you're moving in the right direction, um, and when I mean, what I mean by that is like for you, so like the career path that you want to take, if you're, if you're that next job, it is the right thing. I mean, it, you know, why not move? I don't, I don't feel like you should feel like you should stay at the same thing for, you know, a few years or more, just, just so it looks good on your resume or what have you. Sure. Yeah. And on the flip side, so I'm kind of the flip side of the story. Uh, when I got out of my master and even before I finished my master's degree, I've been working for, for the same company for uh, going on seven years here very soon. Oh, wow. And uh, it's quite a long time, right? But uh, the reality for me is that the flexibility of my position and the flexibility that I've, of the work that I've done at this company um, the mobility that I want to have in my career, I actually can can have that without moving, right? So like for some people, uh, the, the goal should be to find that mobility um, regardless of if that means literally going to a new company. It doesn't really, that's not like a for sure thing, right? It's very possible that you could go from one company to five new jobs in the next year and never quite find um, your place, if you want to call it that, but never really get that type of agility, mobility that you're looking for. Just because you're moving doesn't necessarily mean it's, you know, it's accomplishing that goal. And, and I think it, you just have to look at your options and really say, hey, like, what are my motivations for staying versus what are my motivations for leaving? Yeah, definitely. You know, and before this, I never had um like a quote unquote real full-time job. And I actually thought, if you would have told me around this time, maybe a little over a year ago, last year, that I would be, you know, living in New York, I would have a full-time job, I, you know, all that, I would probably think you were lying because I had been like consulting and freelancing and running my own, you know, site and the podcast and things overall were going very well. But I just got to a point, especially in, I think it was maybe like April, 2016, where I just wanted to change a pace. Like I never had a, a, a real full, a real full-time job, at least in the US. And um, I just wanted that experience. I wanted to be around people um, like in an office. And I sort of went about it and got this job in New York and was able to move. And it's been awesome. But yeah, so I don't, again, I don't have a ton of like full-time experience to compare it all to, at least as far as switching jobs go. But I think it's a very, yeah, personal thing. And when you mentioned like mobility and like how, if you, of course, if you're happy at your job, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't leave. And if you feel like you're progressing and moving in the direction you want to, it definitely makes sense to stay. Yeah, I, I think, uh, so th this, the studies that I've mentioned, um, they talk about this, like what makes a millennial happy, for example, um, and a lot of them end up talking about purpose, our drive for purpose. And we are, as a generation, millennials specifically are uh, are known for seeking purpose in their work. And they want to find purpose in their work. And a lot of times, uh, 
what ends up practically happening is we haven't really defined what that means exactly. Like it, it's kind of a nebulous, uh, mysterious thing that we're seeking after almost as like a meta purpose. Like our purpose is to seek purpose. And um, that that can lead us down like this never ending path where every day our job feels more okay than it feels good. Right. And, and we're discontent based on a value set rather than discontent based on some objective thing that's happening at at your job. And so I think the challenge is, you know, uh, from Laurence's perspective, you're actually going in and trying these things out and you're realizing, Hey, this isn't what I expected it would be. Uh, Let me try this other thing Uh, versus, you know, going in and trying something out that, that you're not really objectively identifying why you don't like it. Right. I think that's a really important thing because on the show I, I talk about you know what it means to be loyal in a in in a uh, workspace that uh, so often people are always taking the next opportunity and very much so for developers maybe more than other careers I'm not really certain about that uh, but we we take opportunities that are upgrades and pay faster than we take. Uh, opportunities that that are achieving that underlying goal of purpose, uh, possibly, and I think that's that's a that's something to look at and, and try to decide. Hey, how do how do I fit this in? How do I fit my values in um, in an industry that is really tumultuous? And tomorrow I could get an offer that doubles my salary all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, it's it's difficult. I definitely think you're right. I'm not I'm not sure about the numbers on it, but how people in tech, especially software engineers and other people with like lucrative data or lucrative tech skills well like data or data analysis uh (laughs) um the opportunity to move around more is it's it's definitely more prevalent and um as you said taking upgrades and pay instead of really thinking about if like the company's right fit for you or maybe the job overall or whatever it is before um or when i was searching for jobs i thought a lot about the company and that being a good fit for me and like what the environment could be like, um, probably more than first time job seekers do. Cause that was really my mm-hmm. first time ever yeah. really like yeah. seriously thinking of first time jobs. But the way I sort of thought of it was like, I'm interviewing them just as much, maybe even more than they're interviewing me. And I say maybe even more because in my situation, I was very particular about like where I wanted to work, like the kinds of companies. Um, so I only want to work at something with like ed, that related to like ed tech or online education. So I've always mm-hmm. been very interested in that. And through like the Learn to Code Me blog, became more so interested in that. In any case, so everywhere I was looking, I would have to move to a new city, which I was completely fine with doing. But it's like if I'm going to pick up my life and also my boyfriend's life as well. And, you know, we're going to move and the cats and <laughs> and everything. Right. It has to be. <laughs> yeah. It definitely has to be a good fit. And I think and I mean, I know because I talk to people all the time looking for jobs in tech that they don't think at all about um, or many people don't think about the company uh, and the culture being a right fit for them. And it goes beyond, yeah. I mean, it goes way beyond that. It really depends on what you value, right? Because for some people, they may value, you know, working from home or certain kinds of flexible schedules, while other people um, may value getting along with their co not getting along, but almost like friendships outside of work. And then other people I know, mm-hmm. maybe they kind of don't want those friendships outside of the work. They just want to be you know, strictly professional, you know, go home, have their own life outside. So I think it just, yeah, it depends on what you value. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, if you're, if you're only looking for a job for like the, the professional specifics, like the numbers, then you're probably going to miss out 
on, on a major piece of, of what you should you, what you should be evaluating. And I see, so I see the wrong way of doing this far too often. I see people's, um, you know, their location on LinkedIn change every three months almost, and uh, and that's you know it's it's it is not something for me to judge from the outside looking in. Um, but I also think that it's important that if you are going to make a decision for your career, you know, that, that you're thinking about it enough so that you're willing to try, right? And I, that's such a, ne- again, we're, I'm going to use the word nebulous again. That's a nebulous concept. What does it mean to try? Um, and I think it has something to do with, with just this, this frequency of becoming discontented, right? And how often do we become so discontented that, uh, we pick up and and you know jump into something new because we think it's going to fix the discontent. And I would challenge the people listening to the show um, that you that you work uh, inside of that pain sometimes, the pain of discontent, and and try to identify what the source is of your discontentment because so many times we don't really recognize what that source is, and instead we have kind of this this perception that the grass is always greener and. We see something that we like somewhere else, and it's so easy to pick up and go. But again, with that said, you know we have this really unique balance on today's episode of of Laurence and myself um, having two completely different career paths. You know, Laurence did didn't go to uh, onto her graduate school, but now is taking uh, night classes. Whereas I did go onto my graduate school, and I don't take night classes currently. Uh, you know, and and we have different career choices, both leading us down down unique paths and everybody's going to have their unique path is kind of the point that i'm that i'm very long-windedly making <laughs> and, right? and look we both have um tech podcasts though yeah yeah <laughs> we have some kind of over, uh, uh intersection there it's kind of cool yeah and i was because i when you were mentioning um so it, was, it was just overall like job satisfaction and, and salaries and whatnot and i I've heard this and I you maybe heard this study as well. I but I think it's something like once a person is earning over eighty thousand dollars, there's there's no real change in like your overall happiness. Like it's kind of like that mm-hmm. point of yep. once you're making a certain amount of money, like even if you made double that, it's not gonna really impact your happiness. Sure. Yeah. And money does increase happiness up to a certain point, and then it becomes more arbitrary and and scorekeeping than it does like tangible change in your outlook. Yeah, exactly. And I do think that could vary depending on where you live, because of course, standard of living can be different, whether in the US or outside. But yeah, the point is... One- yeah, New York versus Chattanooga, for example. <laughs> right. I mean, I yeah, no, that's a great example. Or same with, um, I mean, San Francisco is even more than New York. So yeah. So yeah. yeah. But again, once you're making that certain threshold, it really doesn't, it doesn't impact then your overall, yeah, your overall happiness and, and what what you, I don't know, just finding meaning in your job and all that stuff. And and you said to do exactly what I think people should do, which is take some time and like really ponder, you know, uh, this, this should be, um, I say should, in my opinion, your work is so important. Uh, it's such a big part of your life. It takes up so much of your time, which is, uh, you know, one of life's only like completely flatlined resources. We can't renew our time. And if you're going to spend, you know, eight or 10 hours of your day doing something, then probably think about it, right? Like think a little bit about where you're going to be doing that, um, that thing a little bit before you jump, jump in head first, 
based off of, you know, a salary number, for example. Yes, definitely. I mean, when you think of like the waking hours that you spend, especially if you're working um, like in an office, yeah, eight to 10 hours a day, that's most of your waking hours, you know, five days a week. It's like where you're spending most of your life. But I mean, that could be scary on one hand if you really don't like your job and you dread going to, you know, to, to the office every day. But on the other hand, if you really enjoy your job and find it fulfilling and you find, um, you know, you're learning more from your coworkers and, and the other projects you're getting to work on, it could be an awesome way to spend, you know, eight to 10 hours. Maybe you even want to spend more than that a day. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's definitely a big decision um, one's making. Thank you again for listening to today's episode of Developer Tea. Thank you to Laurence for joining me on today's episode. Uh, don't forget to subscribe if you don't want to miss out on the second part of my interview with Laurence Bradford. Thank you again to today's sponsor, Dolby. If you are creating an iOS app and you haven't considered uh, for longer than a minute what audio codec you're going to be using, you should absolutely consider Dolby's brand new tools for bringing uh, the, the Dolby technology that you've come to know as theater quality uh, audio, bring that into your iOS app. Your users will absolutely appreciate uh, that extra bit of work you did to make the audio that much better. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. If you're enjoying Developer Tea, make sure you go and leave us a review on iTunes. This is the best way to help other developers just like you find the show as they are browsing around for brand new podcasts. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to Laurence's show, Learn to Code With Me. You can find that pretty much anywhere you find podcasts, uh, particularly at the top of the technology section. She is, sits right up there uh, at the top. So go and check out that show. Make sure you subscribe. Of course, all the links in the show notes for today's episode can be found at spec.fm. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, enjoy your tea.